If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, and, and since we have uh, some, some people I don't think have been with us, let me recap where we've been in, uh, in Acts. The book of Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke and Acts just barely Overlap. There, there's a, a little bit of, a, I don't know, maybe you call it redundancy um, at the end of, of Luke and the beginning of Acts. So by the time we get to Acts, Jesus uh, was crucified, buried, risen. Um, and then we get to Acts 1, and it's, it's before his ascension. Obviously in Luke, he, he ascends. But in Acts 1, uh, Jesus says this in, in 1.8. He says, but you will receive power. He's speaking to his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus ascends uh, and this group of Christ followers waited for the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was then given to them and they right away started on this mission that Jesus had given. They start in Jerusalem telling anyone and everyone that will listen about the good news that, that Jesus came, that he lived for them, that he died for them, that he rose from the, death, uh, from the dead, defeating sin and death, and they can be forgiven. And thousands of people, I mean, thousands of people come to receive Jesus as Lord. Uh, and the, the early church uh, started facing persecution right away. Uh, beatings, imprisonments. They were getting threatened. Uh, and then we were just in uh, chapters 6 and 7 when, when the persecution got to the point where Stephen uh, was martyred for his faith, the first person to be killed for uh, trusting in Jesus, for proclaiming Jesus. And as we saw last week, the persecution just continued from there. And if anything, it actually increased. So many Christians uh, in this early church, they scattered from Jerusalem. Right? They're, they're now in Judea, and they're now in Sumer Samaria, just as Jesus said they would go beyond Jerusalem. They'd preach in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So last week we saw in verse 5, uh, we read about Philip preaching in Samaria, and the people were dialed in. They're listening to his message about Jesus, and, and they're, they're ready to respond in faith. So we're picking up in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8. It says, but there was a man named Simon who'd previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying that this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So here's Philip preaching Jesus to the people of Samaria. And as we read last week, the crowds are listening. They're hanging on every word as they hear the good news that they can be saved. What Philip preached was Jesus. That's what he was all about. And this week, we're introduced to a man named Simon. Uh, he's in Samaria. It's probably safe to say that he was a Samaritan. And we're told that he is a big deal, right? He he told the people he was great, and apparently they agreed with him. They thought he was great. I just said that Philip preached Jesus. Simon preached Simon. 
If social media had existed in Simon's day, he would have had tons of followers. He'd be getting paid to be called uh, to be what is called a, an influencer. Um, he'd have selfies galore, I'm sure. There'd be viral clips of him doing just these amazing feats. It would have been all about him all the time. And I think, maybe we don't do it exactly like Simon, but there's a little bit of Simon in all of us. Right? There, and there are some that, that are just like Simon. Right? It's selfies left and right. Look at me. Look how great I am like Simon was. And the rest of us, though, we might be a little bit sneakier about it. We might, we might hide it a little better, perhaps cloaking our look at me with something that looks uh, and feels a little bit more humble. But in our pride, we all have a little bit of this in us. We want to be great. Or maybe, maybe you don't think, I want to be great, but you, you, want, you want to be noticed. You want to be appreciated. We love it when someone notices what we're good at and, and they, they say something about it. Right? Maybe you want people to see you as uh, just a really intelligent person or, or very wise. For others, maybe this comes out in the way they dress. Right? They, they make sure that you can tell they, they have a really uh, great physique. Or if you're like me, maybe you kind of do the opposite. You dress so that people can't as easily notice the extra physique that you are carrying around. You constantly maybe are sucking it in. Maybe, uh, maybe your desire for people to notice you is, is why you bought the house you bought or the car you drive or, or whatever purchase you, you, can, you can have to show that, that you've made it, that you've been successful in what you've done. Or as Christians... We want to look like we're godly. Right? So maybe in a, in a prayer time, you, you find yourself mapping out your prayer in your mind before you pray it out loud. So, so not, not so that God will hear you, but so that others will hear how godly you are. We, we really aren't that different than Simon. Reminds me of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. They were building this giant tower because it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. Right? They wanted people to, to look at this skyscraper and think, wow, man, the, the people that did this truly are amazing. But God in his goodness, he stopped them because living in this delusion wasn't good for them. People needed to see that God is the one who is great. Right? Thinking that we are great, trying to convince others that we are great, it's not what our soul needs. It's not good for us. We need to come to see that God is the great one, that God is the only one worthy of praise and glory. But instead, what we do is, is we try to steal glory for ourselves. And, and what's shocking is that Yahweh, whom no one, no one compares to, right? no one's anything like him, and yet he loves us. Wrap your brain uh, around that, that God knows you fully. He knows you're not great. He knows all the warts. He knows all the things you try to hide from others, and yet he loves you and absolutely wants you as his own. So back to Simon. He's, he's such a big deal that Luke describes all of Samaria uh, as uh, paying attention to him, right? From, from people that are nobodies in, in Samaria to, to people that are, are somebodies, they all paid attention because for a long time, he'd amazed them with this magic. And we don't know what exactly this magic is, right? It, was it like demonic powers? Was it all smoke and mirrors? 
Luke doesn't get specific with us. Like there seems to be some kind of power here that Simon had, but whatever it was, what is clear is it didn't compare to God's power. And we'll see that later in the passage. In verse 12, Luke brings us back then to Philip's message, sharing the gospel with the Samaritans and the response of the people. And it says that many Samaritans believed Philip's testimony about Jesus and they're baptizing men and women. And then it says, even Simon believed and was baptized. The end of 13 tells us he followed Philip around and was just amazed by the miracles that Philip was doing. And I think Luke has given us a little clue here in verse 13 about Simon. Right? He's told us that, that Simon believed, right? and it says the other Samaritans believed. But the question is, is Simon's faith the same as the Samaritans' faith? Yeah, I think we know that not all belief is the same, right? James even tells us that the demons even believe that Jesus is Lord. Like, they're not confused about that. They believe it. Simon reminds me of something we see in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It says this in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem... At the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he knew himself what was in man. So the people, uh, they're, they're taken by the miracles. They, they're amazed at what Jesus has done, these signs and wonders. But Jesus could see, right? He could see into their hearts. It didn't go any deeper than, than seeing a show and being amazed. They loved the signs, but they missed who the sign was pointing to, right? The miracles were always to point to Jesus. Our, uh, our family during COVID did what a lot of families did in COVID. We got a puppy, um, and uh, she's super cute. Isabella, I love her so much. Um, she's sweet. Uh, she's also crazy. I'm not good at training her. Um, she's crazy. She barks too much, but, but tons of fun, right? Lots of puppy energy. She's chewed lots of things that I'd rather her not chew. Um, she loves to play fetch. I remember uh, right away I tried to teach her to play fetch. So she's, I mean, if you haven't had a, a puppy, man, when they're little, I mean, they're distracted by everything. It's like ADHD on steroids, right? So I'm trying to teach her to play fetch and it's going all right. And one time I throw the ball and uh, I don't know, there's a sound or something and she got distracted and she's looking elsewhere and she doesn't see that the ball's over there. And she's just staring at me like, when are we gonna do this thing? And, and, and so I, I point, I'm like, go get it, Isabel. It's, it's right over there. And, and when I point, like you guys, you know what this means, right? A puppy doesn't know what that means. So she's looking at my hand, like my hand's the cool thing now, right? Like maybe there's a treat that I hid right there. So she's like all up in my hand and like trying to get, I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's over there. And, and she, she didn't understand what the pointing meant. The crowds heard Jesus teach and they saw the signs that he performed, but they missed that the signs pointed to him. The signs pointed to Jesus. They believed he was unique, right? They, they believed he was powerful. Maybe they, maybe they thought, yes, this is a, a teacher unlike anyone we've ever heard, and yet they still missed Jesus. And it's, it's easy for us to make that same mistake, right? We think, oh, we wouldn't do that. 
All right. There's some Christians, some brothers and sisters in Christ that um, maybe you'd describe them as, as, as uh, maybe being obsessed with, with miracles, with the supernatural. If anything, uh, in our church, if we hear about a miracle, most of us, my guess is, we might be more on the, uh, on the skeptical side and, and want to be proven that, that God, in fact, did a miracle. So I, I think we would, it'd be easy for us to think, oh, we would, we would never miss this sign that, that points to Jesus. Um, but we do this even in other ways. Maybe it's not with miracles. Maybe, maybe you've got a favorite author, a Christian author, uh, or some big-time pastor. So every time they... Uh, write a book, man, you, you get that right away. You pre-order it, you read it, you read every post or, uh, or whatever videos that they put out there. And suddenly your focus is more on them than the one they point to, Jesus. Now we're, we're enamored with maybe their, their giftings and their great gifts uh, were given by, by the one uh, who, who, uh, they're given by Christ in order to point to Christ. And, and yet we get more stuck on, man, they're so amazing. They're such a great teacher or, or whatever. We can do this with podcasters. We can do this with worship leaders, right? We can do this with elements in a service, right? We can do this with, with a sermon. We can find ourselves talking about uh, the sermon at church, whether it's good or bad, rather than talking about the one the sermon points to. Right? We, we love, many of us love singing, right? I love to sing to the Lord. But we can do this with a worship song. We can just get so into this worship song, playing it over and over again, singing it over and over again, and, and, and yet love the song more than we love Jesus. So I, I wonder if that's what Luke is hinting at in 8.13, as he highlights that Simon loved the miracles that Philip did, and he's falling around like this little fanboy. So what, what do we do? What do we make of Simon's belief? It reminds me of Luke 8, probably a familiar parable to at least some of you. Jesus tells a parable um, that involves these four different soils. And there's someone that's scattering seed. And the seed is the word of God on these four soils. One of the soils is this hard pathway, right? It's, it's just walked on day after day by tons of people. It's all compacted down. There's really no chance when this seed lands on it, there's no chance that it's actually going to get into the soil. It, there's no way it's going to germinate. So what happens is it's either stepped on by travelers or birds come and snatch it up. So these are people that it's like they're so hardened towards God. They're so hardened towards the message of the gospel that they, they don't even really hear the gospel when it's presented to them. Another one of the soils looks like good soil, but it, it, Jesus says it's rocky. Right? So like right underneath, there's, there's all this rock, so the roots can't really develop. But, but the plant, it, it, it sprouts and, and it looks good. It, it shoots up and it looks, like, it looks like this is going to be a good plant, but, but the roots, they can't go anywhere. So this plant can't stand the test of time. It can't stand a heat wave. The third soil uh, it, it can support life, but it's full of thorns. It's full of weeds. So the seed sprouts, it grows, but pretty soon it's choked out by the thorns and the weeds, right? Life happens, and, and this person's pulled in different directions, and they, ultimately they want more of the pleasures of life than they want God. And only one of the four soils is good. It's a soil that's rich with nutrients. It's got enough moisture in it to provide for what the seed needs. It's deep enough that the roots can grow and support the plant. And this, this seed grows 
and grows and it, it produces a crop. Well, Simon reminds me of the soil that, that had a, a, some soil on the surface, but, but then it's really just rock beneath. And Jesus said this, he, he said, the, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. So there's a believing that grows a bit, right? It looks sincere. They hear the gospel. They proclaim that they believe. They, they proclaim that they are Christ. There's even joy in their life right away, but there's, there's no roots. The belief looks genuine, but after time, it fades away. Life happens. Hardship comes, and this belief this believing doesn't last. Well, Simon believed. On some level, Luke's saying he believed. He had some sort of faith. However, it doesn't look like a saving faith. And we'll get to more of that in a bit. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles uh, at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting, right? The apostles hear about the Samaritans and they send Peter and John down. We haven't seen them do that before when, when, when a group of people come to know Christ. Last week I talked about the hostility between Jews and Samaritans. And, and maybe as you've read the Bible, you remember that, uh, that those two groups did not get along, that, that many of them hated each other. Um, I told you that, that in Luke 9, um, uh, Jesus sends uh, some of his disciples to, to go make preparations so they can stay in Samaria. Uh, the Samaritans reject that, that plan. They didn't receive Jesus, is what Luke said. And, and John and James said together, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them, right? Not, not exactly loving of the Samaritans. So I suspect that Peter and John are sent, and I, I think that John needed to see that the gospel was for this group of people too. If the gospel was for the Samaritans, it meant that it was for everyone. And John goes from throwing out this idea of asking God to rain fire down on the Samaritans to touching them, laying hands on them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. Right? The gospel breaks down barriers, including the wickedness that we can have in our hearts towards someone else. Right? Maybe it's about where they're from or, or what they look like, but the gospel breaks down those barriers. I'm sure you probably noticed in this passage that Luke says that the Samaritans had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And, and you've got to wonder, like, okay, what does that mean? Because that's not, that's not what we normally see. That's not what we see throughout Scripture in the New Testament. I should say, uh, from Acts on, that's not what we see. On some level, we do know that the Holy Spirit was active in them, right? They would not have a saving faith without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, belief isn't something that we conjure up. It is the Holy Spirit working in us to bring about new life, this rebirth. One thing that we talked about early in Acts is that um, passages of Scripture can be uh, either descriptive or 
prescriptive. And this is a passage that is descriptive. It's telling us what happened this time. It's not prescribing what needs to happen or this is how it should go. Um, now, there are some genuine believers that would take this passage in Acts 8 uh, to mean that it's necessary to have this second baptism. They call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I showed up to Bible college. Um, I knew this passage. I mean, I'm sure I'd read it multiple times, but I'd never heard of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And suddenly I'm with uh, other Christians my age from different um, uh, faith backgrounds with you know different beliefs and theology and doctrine and, and suddenly people are asking me hey have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit Greg I'm like I don't even know what you're talking about you know, is that what we're supposed to take from this passage right that Christians need a subsequent experience that we come to Christ are baptized and then we need to also be baptized in the Holy Spirit so what is Luke doing here well he's described what happened he isn't saying that this is how it always happens, and we, we can just look forward to Luke 10 to see that there's a, a different order of events. Peter's preaching to the Gentiles, and Luke writes that the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. It comes on these Gentiles. They believe, they receive the Spirit, and, and, and it's after that that the Spirit comes that Peter says, hey, you need to get baptized, right? You need to, you need to be baptized in water. And this is a, I think this is a good thing for us to think through when we read our Bibles. Like context matters, right? It's, it's easy to read our Bibles and even just get stuck on like one, one word. But we need to make sure that that word, uh, the way we're reading that word, the way we're taking that word fits the context of the verse. And, and not just the verse, but the context of the passage, the context of the whole book, the context of, of all of Scripture. Like if that doesn't agree with the rest of what Scripture teaches, then, then our understanding of that is, is incorrect. Remember back to uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter, uh, his sermon at Pentecost. This is 2, 38 and 39. Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Repent, get baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the Spirit. Like this is a, 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 at the same time. Paul in Romans 8, 9, I won't read it to you, but he says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they're not in Christ. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a believer. So again, the Samaritans wouldn't have believed, though, without the Holy Spirit working in them. So it seems like there's something very unique about this moment, this time. Look at what Luke wrote back in, in verse six, uh, 16 of Acts chapter 8. He said, uh, For he had not, this is the Spirit, had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus only implies that this is not the norm. And I'd argue that the regular teaching of the apostles doesn't tell us that there's a subsequent baptism, but that believers receive the Holy Spirit when they receive Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit indwells in us. So again, what is happening here? Why is this, why is this so unique? As I said earlier, the apostles sent a delegate down of Peter and John uh, to come down and see what is happening in Samaria. Uh, and the apostles hadn't sent like inspectors before to go see uh, in other places where people had come to believe in Jesus. This, this is different. It, it wasn't that Philip's explanation of the gospel lacked something and that Peter and John needed to kind of fill in the blanks to fully explain the gospel. Luke doesn't tell us anything about them teaching more. Um, and, and, and then after that, the Spirit comes. He doesn't say that. 
No, what they did was they prayed. And these new believers received the Holy Spirit. Um, so why does this, why this happen in this way? I think what seems to be the most natural explanation is that because this is the first time the gospel was proclaimed outside of Jerusalem, right? And the, and the Samaritans, we already know, they're considered half-breeds, not fully Jewish. They're kind of like this, this halfway house between Jew and Gentile. So the Samaritans were the first fruits of this calling of the Gentiles to receive Jesus as Lord. Now, Jesus had clearly taught his followers that salvation was not just for the Jews, but, but this was for anyone that would place their faith in him. And we see this all the way through scripture, right? We, we see this clear back in Genesis, Genesis 12, when God told Abraham he was going to be blessed by God. Why? Well, in order to be a blessing to the nations. So now here, um, we're the first to come to Christ outside of Jerusalem. So it makes sense that the apostles would want some of their own to see this for themselves. And I, as I mentioned, maybe John felt like, like he had to see this for himself. I, I don't know his heart towards the Samaritans besides what I mentioned and, yeah, about him wanting to like rain down fire back in Luke 9, but maybe he did hate the Samaritans. So maybe on this way down to Samaria, there's this real wrestling inside of him as he realized, man, if God is saving the Samaritans, then I need, I need my heart changed. I need a, a massive paradigm shift. Perhaps he needed to repent of his hatred towards people that God loved enough to send his son for. And God's kingdom was always going to include a diverse people different ethnicities, different socioeconomics, different, different backgrounds, different histories, uh, different uh, non-essential doctrinal beliefs, different perspectives, right? The kaleidoscope of God's people is and will be beautiful. So the apostles seeing these new believers receive the spirit was important for the establishment of the early church. And obviously there was something that happened, like in some way they could tell, they were able to confirm that yes, the Samaritans received the spirit. My guess is maybe they were speaking in tongues, maybe it was prophecy, but, but somehow they could see, yep, okay, they have the spirit. Is this confirmation, they are in Christ. And this doesn't mean though that, that this is how it always happens. Um, instead, my hunch is that this authenticated the work of bringing salvation to the Samaritan people. And, and Peter and John were there to see it with their own eyes, right? They could go back to the other brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem or wherever they talked to Christians and say, yep, God did this. He, is, he has accepted the Samaritans. And I'm sure it was also important for the Samaritans to see and hear that the apostles recognize them as truly being part of the family of God. They were no longer this, this half-breed nobody group. They needed to see themselves as bona fide brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's no doubt the, the apostles laying on of hands uh, on the Samaritans was exciting. So let's see what Simon does with this in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And I think here is where we, we really get to see more of Simon's heart. Before Philip's message, Simon was about Simon. He wanted to be great, and I would argue really nothing has changed. 
his response is to want the power to give the Spirit instead of actually having the Holy Spirit in him for himself. And how easy it is for us to fall into a similar trap. God is right there, but somehow we're distracted. Maybe like my puppy, like we're distracted and we miss him. And we make it all about us, just like Simon. You might remember when we were in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how easy it is for for people to prefer to look godly than to actually be godly. Why? It's, It's because of our pride. I think that's the root of all of our sin. It's our pride. We want people to notice us. We want people to think highly of us. We are, we're, we're glory thieves. Someone just told me their, their story the other day of how they came to know Jesus. Um, and he was telling me that once they first started going to church, uh, he and his wife started uh, giving financially for the church because he thought it meant that God would give him even more, right? So he made this, what was to be an offering to God, he was really making an offering to himself. And he's not the only one that's done that. Or, or maybe you've done, done this in a different way, right? You, you try to cut a deal with God. God, if you do this thing for me, then man, I will, I will, I'll give you my business. I will, I will dedicate my life to you. I'll dedicate my, you know, whatever to you. We're told by Jesus that in the end, standing before the Lord, there are gonna be a lot of people that hear, hear him say to them, away from me, I never knew you. Away from me, I know you went to church. Away from me, I know you sang songs about me. Uh, Away from me, I I know you did Christ-like things, but it was never actually about Jesus. You didn't actually know Jesus, and you'll say, away from me. It, It is, it's sobering. And to, to read about Simon or read about the crowds or to read that warning that Jesus gives and, and realize that you can be right there and, and completely miss God, just like the crowds did. And clearly Simon missed it. He was stuck worshiping really the idol of himself being great. Right? That's what he cared about when he could have known the Lord. Simon is a tragedy. Verse 20 says, but Peter said to him, and this is after he offered the money, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Right? Peter's having none of that. And to us, this sounds ludicrous. Like, of course you can't buy the power to give the Holy Spirit to others. And we don't know how Simon got his power. Maybe this is what he did before. Maybe he, he paid in order to, to know the tricks of the trades so that, that he could be a magician. So maybe he's just doing what he's always done before to get what he wants. And we, we see right through it. Like, we know you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We probably think similarly about money. Money has lied to us. Money's tricked us over and over again. Money gets us lots, lots of things, um, very critical things. I mean, things that we need to survive, um, we, we can get through money. It also gets us comforts 
And we can easily, as Americans, fall into the trap that money makes us happy, right? And I suspect that nearly all of us, maybe 100% of us, struggle with the worship of wealth. It's easy for us to think that, man, if I just had a little bit more, then I would be happy. Then I would have enough. But a little more never quite delivers on that promise. We want more and more and more, hoping that at some point we'll have enough money and enough stuff accumulated. We need to be careful with money and with possessions. Money can get you a lot, but there's a whole lot that it can't get you. Money can't buy you peace. Money can't heal a loved one of a disease. Money can't make a broken family whole. Money can't fix character. I mean, we can go on and on about all the things that money cannot get us. But if we're honest, we think money is so often what we need. Just like Simon thought, I have money. I can get what I need. I can get this power. And he was right that the power that he saw here from God was greater than the power he had. And Simon wanted to be great. Man, we're all like Simon, right? To some degree, we, we want that. And if I'm honest, everything I do, I, I want to be great at. It really doesn't even matter what it is. Right? I, I want people to see and, and tell me, man, good job. Every, every sport I've ever played, every game I've ever played, from baseball to soccer, I want to be great. I started playing pickleball a few years ago. Man, that stupid game, I love it. <laughs> I just, I want to be great at it. Right, board games, we're playing board games tonight. Man, I wanna be great at Settlers of Catan, right? Connect Four, I don't care, Uno, I wanna be great. And we, we do this in life. Maybe you wouldn't say you wanna be great. You wanna be noticed, you wanna be appreciated. We do this at school, we do this at work. Right? We can do this with just trying to have a really nice looking lawn. We can do this in ministry. Right? It's, it's so easy to work hard in, in any ministry. And, and have so much of it really to do with us and, and so very little of it to have to do with God. Well, Simon did believe on some level that God was great, but his worship was still of himself. He didn't seek Jesus to be magnified. He wanted to magnify himself. You notice Peter's words to Simon in verse 23. He says he's in, he's in bondage to iniquity. Iniquity just means sin. He's imprisoned by sin, right? He's so... He's so hungry for power that, that, that it's a prison to him. And this is what sin does. It's a prison. And for some, either online or in the room, I'm guessing that, that you hear it described that way. And that's exactly how you feel. You know that, that you keep choosing sin and all it's doing is, is holding you captive. Well, Peter sees right through Simon. He sees through that desire for power and he tells him, you gotta repent. You need to pray, Simon. You need to turn from your sin. And Peter tells Simon he needs a heart that is healed. He needs forgiveness from God. And what is interesting and to me very, very sad is Simon doesn't pray on his own. He asks Peter to pray for him. Don't let that be you today. Right? If, if by the Holy Spirit you are being invited to turn from sin, if the Holy Spirit is doing anything in you, man, come to him today and, and pray. Right? Ask him to heal your heart. Do not put that off. Run to him. His love for you is, is greater than I can explain. Well, the rest of Simon's life we don't get from the Gospels. There's different accounts in history, and, and they all uh, they do all 
really say that he bore fruit, but it was not gospel fruit. Uh, Simon, um, in, by one historian in 180 AD, was called the father of, of Gnosticism, right? This heretical movement. I read someone else that called him really the arch villain of the early church. Simon heard the gospel. On some level, he believed that, that Jesus was great, but Simon ultimately was all about Simon. Verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And next week we're going to see Philip preach some more, and we're going to see such a contrast in the response to the good news. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you, Lord, and and we confess, Lord, that we do not love you nearly like we should. It is uh, humbling that even to love you, we need your help. Uh, we can't do that on our own. Holy Spirit, would you give us hearts that, that more and more want Christ and, and, and that we would want less and less of us. Lord, I, I think about John the Baptist that, that, that says that. that he, needs, he needs more of Jesus and less of himself. Lord, would that be us, God? Will we be a people that, that not only want that for us, but for others to know the truth of the one who came to save us from our sin. Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. And we pray that we would be a people, Lord, that are, are hungry for the world to know about your love, Lord, that we'd be a people that are not ashamed to speak the gospel anywhere we are given an opportunity, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.